I know what you're thinking. This guy looks like Jason Statham. <laughs> Do you even know who that is? I don't even know. Uh, Vin Diesel, Bruce Willis, uh, a version of John Tisovich that's not aged well, right? Um, so uh, it is a gift just to be with you. My name is Russ. Uh, like Alan said, I get uh, the gift of helping to lead us. We talk a lot about, hey, we want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's really simple. Jesus has one invitation that is, come follow me, right? What he's saying is, uh, look, I, I will train you to be like me and do what I do. And so uh, I get to help make that happen around here, right? So I get to train a little, I get to coach a little, uh, and sometimes I get to teach, and that's what we're doing today. So let's jump in. I want to introduce you to uh, two people. The first one you may be familiar with, uh, this is Jim Carrey. Uh, if you know what film this is from, you're probably my friend, right? Uh, this is Dumb and Dumber, right? But he's an actor, a comedian, uh, really shot into like superstardom in the 90s, blockbuster comedies, including this, Ace Ventura, Liar, Liar, Bruce Almighty, right? It's a long list. Um, obviously, an extraordinarily ambitious man, right? Uh, and worked really hard uh, to reach the heights of cultural fame that he got to. And in 2016, uh, he was just presenting an award at the Golden Globes, uh, and this is a 90-second clip. You can log on and find it. It's worth watching. It's really simple. But he's introduced to present an award, and he, they introduce him as two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And he steps out, and he goes off script. And he says, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And you know, when I'm going to sleep at night, I'm not just any guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And he said, and when I dream, I don't just dream any old dreams. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And he says, because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search. And here's the truth, this line, where he says, for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. When you watch this, uh, the room is laughing with him uncomfortably because he's talking to his people, right? Like when you see it, the room is full of people like Denzel and Jamie Foxx, Leo and Lady Gaga, and they're laughing with him and they're connecting with him because he's speaking a truth that they all know. He is an extraordinarily ambitious man speaking to extraordinarily ambitious people. And what he's saying is even when you reach the top, when you work harder than everybody else and you sacrifice more than anybody else, ultimately, you are still, the word he used, unfulfilled. Second person to introduce you to. Her name is Emmy, Emmy Neitfeld, a young woman. She, uh, before she graduated high school, uh, she'd been um, abandoned by her father, neglected by her mother, Spent time in the foster care system in juvenile detention, lived alone in her car, and had tried to kill herself. Uh, and all she really wanted was just to be safe. And she saw education as her way to get there. So she worked really hard, pulled herself up by her bootstraps, and at 17, uh, she was flown to Washington, D.C. to receive a Distinguished American Award. She met Supreme Court justices, chiefs of state, 
heads of state, and was honored uh, as a deserving scholar who had limitless possibilities. She landed a full ride to Harvard and then a dream job at Google, and she got everything she thought would lead to safety. And yet, she writes about her life in a book called Acceptance, and she said this, both success and failure were up to me alone. I was valuable only when I triumphed, and if I couldn't overcome, I'd be better off dead. What Jim and Emmy have in common is that they were both able to capitalize on what we are all promised in our culture. The promise is real simple. Self-reliance is the way to the good life, right? Whether it's fame or it's safety or a strong family, a meaningful life, purposeful work, whatever the good life is to us, we get it by depending on ourselves. It's up to us to make our lives. It's up to us to make our lives good. And if we work really hard, we can get it. <laughs> and it's true for all of us. We all have these longings in us, right? For meaning, purpose, belonging, inner wholeness and freedom. We always have this sense that there's a life for us, a fulfilling life, right? Something we long for. And I can imagine even in a room this size, that some of us have even lost the ability to long or to hope, right? That um, hope is too much. It's a kind of a pipe dream. And uh, maybe a, it's not a good life, it's just a good day. And the good day is when we've survived, right? But Jim and Emmy are pulling back the curtain and they're exposing this lie that if we're really, really good at making our lives what we want them to be, then everything will be great, Right? And what we find is that self-reliance has its limits. And in the end, it is not enough because we are not enough. And that sounds like really bad news, right? But maybe it's really good. So Jesus shows us a better way. We've been in a conversation about Jesus here these last several weeks, kind of uh, entering into his compassion during what we call Passion Week or Holy Week, right? Why Passion Week? I know it's odd. I, lo I looked it up this week, right? It's a Latin word, passio. It means to endure suffering. So what we think of as Holy Week or Passion Week is the whole week leading up to the cross and resurrection because the cross is where we see Jesus doing what? Enduring suffering. And so uh, we're walking this route with them as we teach and learn from scriptures and stories that happen during that week. So today, we're looking at John 13. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, John 13. If you've got a Bible, kick it open. If you've got an app, uh, <laughs> kick it open, and we will jump in. So uh, just for context, Jesus is, and his disciples are in Jerusalem uh, for a festival. It's a holiday. Uh, it's a big one. It's called the Passover. Um, so just to give you an idea of what's going on in the city, uh, normally at this time, Jerusalem would have about fifty to 60,000 people living in it. Uh, for Passover, everybody comes in. So you're looking at 100 to 120,000 people packed in. And on this night, on the Thursday night, before the cross on Friday, that Thursday night, the Passover meal, uh, every house is celebrating this meal. 
the patriarch is leading it. In this case, Jesus is leading it with his trainees. Uh, and so this is Passover week. Um, let me just pause real quick on this just to highlight uh, what we as a church are doing through as we walk through that Passion Week or that Holy Week, um, because we know it kind of caps in Easter, uh, and we'll be celebrating Easter right here, celebrating resurrection, right? Um, Jesus uh, defeats sin, evil, death, and proves once and for all He's our rescuing and life-giving King, and we will celebrate that here, 9 and 11 on Easter Sunday, two weeks from today. Um, and, uh, but we're also going to gather here on that Friday so that uh, we can not just celebrate the resurrection, but enter in uh, and participate with the cross, right? Uh, and a, a part of his suffering and engage on Friday. Um, but, uh, so here's, here's one of the dangers. We're gathering here for both those services, and it's really good because we've got this wonderful space to gather in. Here's one of the dangers of having a wonderful space, is that we can begin to think or fool ourselves into thinking that places like this are the place where Christian stuff happens. And uh, reality is Jesus stuff happens wherever Jesus is, uh, and it happens to be with you all the time. Right? And, in fact, he spent way more time at tables than he ever did at center stage. Uh, and so, uh, this meal that we're going to read about today happened on that Thursday, and our invitation to you is this, and if you're on the church email, you have gotten an email late this week that would give some instructions about this. We just want to invite you uh, to join in with, to what Jesus uh, is doing by doing what he did here. And so, it's real simple. We're just inviting you to ask God who he wants you to invite, and then share a simple meal together on that Thursday. Like he shared a meal, share a meal. Tell stories say a prayer, and enjoy seeing what Jesus does at your table, right? So Thursday at your table, Friday here for Good Friday, and then Easter will blow it out. Good? Good. So that shared meal, let's see what happens at this meal, right? John 13, verse 1. It was just before Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So this is his last meal. Uh, he, again, will be uh, arrested later on that night and will be executed uh, the next day on that Friday. Uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is beautiful because John is writing this. It's his biography of Jesus, and he's in the room. He's actually sitting next to Jesus for this meal, uh, the youngest one at the table. <laughs> and he says, man, he just, Jesus just loved us all the way to the end, right? The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. You hear the ominous music, right, at this point. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples, his trainees, his trainee's feet, drying them with this towel that was wrapped around him. So a couple of things that are different for them than us. One is the room would look different. Most of us have chairs around our table. They did not. They sat at very low tables and they reclined. Uh, good to know just because proximity to feet right, is different for them than us. But secondly, not just is the room different, they think differently, specifically in this case, about shoes and feet. 
Um, you see it in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 60 talks about casting a shoe at uh, your enemy, which is weird, right? Like throw a shoe at him. <laughs> Psalm 41 talks about, his, it's a complaint that, uh, that the closest friends, the psalmist's closest friends are lifting up their heel against them. These are odd things. Throwing shoes and lifting up heels are an insult. Uh, but in the Middle Eastern culture, feet and shoes are unclean and they are unmentionable. Even to this day, there are places in the Middle East that, that it, to say the word for feet or shoes, it's just not something you do in polite society. Some of you may remember, you may be around long enough to remember President Bush having somebody throw a shoe at him. That person was from the Middle East, right? So, like washing feet was necessary. Think about this. Like you're, you're traveling roads that aren't just humans on that roads, but tons of animals, and you're wearing sandals, right? Washing feet is absolutely necessary, but nobody wants to do it. There's even this story in Genesis about this guy named Abraham who has three important guests show up. Turns out they're more important than even he knows because they turn out to be angels. Uh, and hospitality, really, really important to people in the Middle East. Uh, and yet, what he does is he has a water basin brought to them, and he says, here you go, you can wash your own feet, right? Because this is not something we're going to do. Uh, so, washing feet was absolutely necess it's necessary, but it was not a job for important people. In fact, it was a job for the least important person in the house. So, recognize this. This is something that the 12 were not oblivious to. They were really clear that somebody needed to wash the feet in the room. And in fact, there was a basin and a towel sitting there. This was obvious and clear. Everybody knew their feet needed wash, and everybody knew somebody needed to do it, but not one of them was willing to demean themselves by doing the job. So you can almost imagine Jesus just sort of letting the tension hang in the air, right? Just let that hang before he quietly strips down, wraps the towel around himself, and begins to wash feet. And again, like we know he's washing the feet of a traitor, but also a feet of a doubter, a feet of a denier. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who asked him, said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless... Peter, unless you can receive this, this sacrificial gift act of love, um, you're not part of us, right? And then, man, you got to love this guy because Peter goes, hey, Lord, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, like all of me. And you hear Jesus almost going, man, chill, relax. <laughs> the, the, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Your whole body is clean and you, he says, are clean. Though not every one of you. And then we get a little narration from John. For he knew, Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Where's his place? At the head of the table. The most important person in the room. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. I'm your rabbi. I'm the master. I'm the most important person in the room, and we all know it. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do what I have done for you. Their relationship is very, very specific. He is the rabbi and the master. They are his disciples, or I think of them as trainees, right? What does he train them to do? To be exactly like him. They have one goal, one goal. It is to think like him, act like him, do what he does. One goal. And Jesus says, here you go. (laughs) Here you go. Follow this example. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Blessed if you do them. Blessed. Uh, having a deep sense of satisfaction. We're all as right with the world. To, to experience God's favor, to be blessed. So following Jesus' example and serving others uh, by lowering ourselves isn't just good for the people we serve. It happens to be good for us as well. So here's the question. Jesus is clearly the most important person in the room. As we look back to this story from our vantage point, we could say uh, and maybe uh, underestimate by saying that Jesus is the most important person to have ever lived, right? He's clearly the most important person in the room, and yet he's comfortable taking the position of the least. And the question is, how is he so at ease with himself in this so free and confident. Think about his last few days. Uh, Just a couple of days prior to this, few days, he rode into town on a donkey, and he has crowds of people celebrating him, calling him the king that God has sent to set things right, and they are giving their allegiance to him. They're throwing their cloaks down in front of him. Uh, Then there's this other famous moment that he has where he uh, judges a corrupt religious leadership by throwing over tables in the temple. And then he comes to this moment. (laughs) He comes to this moment where he shames himself by doing work that no self-respecting person would do. So easy with this. John, the one who's writing this, reminds us of, of something Jesus knew, if you caught it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and is returning to God. It's almost as if Jesus actually trusted his Father, right? That he actually believed what he taught about God. That God actually wants the best possible life for us. Not always the easiest, but the best. Because he taught us that, that our Father is forgiven. And that he gives good gifts. He taught us that we can trust our Father to take care of us, God to take care of us, right? He provides not just our bread, but our bread every day, right? He taught us that we can trust Him to protect us, protect us from evil and the evil one. Jesus taught us that that God delights over us, paying such close attention to us that He knows the number of hair on our heads which is easier for some than others. (laughs) I heard a God love you up here, and he does. So 
Uh, it's good. Jesus fully believed that what God wants for us is really, really good. So much so, he said, hey, look, when you pray, pray this. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let things be arranged the way you want them in my life. Let what you want to have happen happen in my life because what you want to have happen is far better than what I can imagine or come up with myself. (laughs) And Jesus puts this on display. Like he trusts his father so much, even when it depended on it the most, when it got hardest for him. And that was this very night after this meal. He's in the garden praying alone while his closest friends are snoozing close to him. His body goes into something like a panic attack, right? Because he's facing the reality of the cross and enduring suffering. And what does he pray? This is Mark. He prays, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup, this cup of suffering from me. Yet, that word yet is carrying a lot of weight. What does he pray? Not what I want, not what I will, but what you will. He actually trusts that what God wants is so good (laughs) that it's actually worth the sacrifice, reminding us that the good life isn't always the easy one, right? Jesus trusted the Father. He relied on the Father, John, who's writing this biography. He's telling the story. John also writes letters to churches, to his friends and churches, Uh, in modern-day Turkey now. And we have some of those in our Bible. 1 John is one of them. Uh, And in that, he writes this. He says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And we know, so we know and rely on what? The love God has for us. It's God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. John says, we just know and rely on the love God has for us. John gets this. Our brothers and sisters who are in recovery, many of them get this. This is from the big book. (laughs) It says this, self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve our, the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Boy, does that not hit home? <laughs> Perhaps there's a better way, they write. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves good. Even more, according to Jesus' earliest followers, our forefathers and foremothers in the faith, uh, they believe this. I'm just going to riff some scripture real quick, right? That Jesus is in very nature God, or that he is the fullness of the Father in bodily form, that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. It's a lot of words, right? It just simply says that Jesus is the clearest example we have of what God is like and who God is. 
So not only is Jesus training us to rely on God, he's showing us how fully reliable God is. <laughs> not only is he, is he training us to trust God's love, he's showing us what God's love looks like. Right? <laughs> so what we find is that our self-reliance always comes to an end. Again, we are not enough, and that is only good news if we don't have to be, right? It's only good news if He's good enough for us, that if actually relying on His love, relying on Him is enough. We don't have to rely on ourselves. We have Him. So let's just imagine for a moment what it could be like to actually fully, right, <laughs> fully know and rely on the love of God. It would mean we would not have to pretend. You never have to act like you have it all together. You never have to hold up some kind of image of yourself for other people to, to, to make sure that they know that you're strong or you're important or you're just stable today. We could be the person we are on the inside, also on the outside, right? If we fully knew and relied on the love of God, we would be free from trying to control everything in our lives. It wouldn't be up to us to make our lives work or to fix our problems or to fix everybody else's problems. And we could just do whatever God wants us to do next and trust Him with whatever the outcomes are. If we relied on the love of God, we wouldn't have to compare ourselves to other people. And so we could hear uh, their stories or we could see their pictures, you know, uh, of the really good meal they had or the vacation they had or their smiling family or their job promotion. And we could just be happy for them without that pang in us because they seem to have what we don't. If we could rely know and rely on the love God has for us, we wouldn't beat ourselves down for being a disappointment, for not living up to other people's expectations or our own expectations or what we think God's are for us. And we could take seriously the broken places in our lives, the sin in our lives, joining God where He wants to bring rightness into us and into our lives, but never be weighed down by shame again. If we could fully rely on the love God has for us, we wouldn't need people to treat us in any specific way. We wouldn't need them to recognize all the good things we've done. We wouldn't need their appreciation or their adoration. We could just be who we are where we are. And that one hits home for me. Because <laughs> deep down in here, uh, for me, for as long as I can remember, I have wanted the acceptance and approval of other people. And maybe some of you are like that. Not surprising that I chose a career path that puts me in places like this, right? Because <laughs> you know what this is, right? Like, uh, I can 
you can uh, sort of fool yourself into thinking, well, this is important, right? <laughs> it's a person on a stage. You all came in here. You know, you know what you're doing for me right now? Who else has talked besides this beautiful little sister over here, right? <laughs> and I mean the baby. It's gorgeous. But I mean, who else is talking in here? Nobody. You all are giving me your ears. You got quiet, and you're sitting there, and you're listening to me, and you know what I can, what I can interpret that as? Love, right? Because I'm getting your attention, which I can translate to approval and adoration. And I can sort of make that happen. Not your adoration, but I got your attention, right? That in some way I can rely on myself to try to fill a need that only God can fill, right? And take a good thing, an act of service, and turn it into an act of service for me. Have you ever um, trusted somebody with your first unfiltered thought? Think about it for a second. <laughs> I have a friend named Wes. Uh, everybody needs a friend like, like Wes. Uh, he and I, we were colleagues, we worked together, uh, and we were attending a ministry conference. Right? And, uh, and Wes has this uncle, he calls him Uncle Bill. Uh, but his Uncle Bill was actually a big wig at this conference, right? He's been writing books for like 40 years in ministry. He was a main stage speaker. Uh, his Uncle Bill was like, you know, kind of a big thing. And, uh, but to Wes, he's just, that's my Uncle Bill, right? So uh, before the conference, Wes comes to me and he goes, hey, I'm really excited. I, I think I can arrange for you and I to get lunch with my Uncle Bill. And I gave Wes my first unfiltered thought, which was this. <laughs> I said, that's great. I'm excited for him to be impressed by me. And you can laugh because that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> uh, but you know what? That made sense in my head, right? Having someone that I could trust to say that out loud with, because you know what Wes did when I said that? He laughed, right? Uh, not at me, he laughed with me, right? Because you know, somewhere me, I don't want to be that guy, right? And yet it's still my first thought. Listen, if you're, if you're just getting started following Jesus, man, I have been, been in this gig. I grew up in church. I grew up in a kind of church where we memorize verses for points or gold stars. And some of you are like, yep. And other ones are like, that's so weird, right? So I've been in this gig a long time. And that story I'm telling you happened in the last five years. <laughs> you don't think that Jesus still has work training us to be like him and do what he does and to rely on the love of God. So much more room to go, right? <laughs> we are not enough. We get to the end of ourselves. So you know what happened? Uh, we did have lunch. Wes and his Uncle Bill and me. And they talked about their lives and their family, and I had a good sandwich. <laughs> uh, and it was good. And you know what? It was enough. Uh, by trusting my friend with that ridiculous thought, it freed me from trying to half 
to impress somebody, right? Do you see the freedom in this? What Jesus actually wants to free us from, right? So that whatever is in front of us, that it's okay. We got nothing to prove, and we can, we can just pick up the water basin and wrap the towel under our waist because we're relying on the same God, right? And just serve whoever's in front of us. So how do we cultivate reliance on God and not ourselves? Uh, certainly, we can actually take Jesus up on his invitation. He says, actually, it's not an invitation. He's like, this is my example. Do this. Serve somebody. It's hard. It's hard to focus on ourselves when we're focused on other people. And often I think we miss God because we're looking up here somewhere. And we actually will find him down on our knees, right? Serving alongside of him. So serve somebody. But uh, lately in my life, uh, there's been a simple practice that's helping cultivate this reliance on God and his love. Um, it's a simple little practice, and I'm going to invite you into it today. We'll practice it together, and it's something you can take with you. It's a practice, hopefully, that can lead to a habit. Um, and it's really come from a, kind of a new thought for me. Again, long time following Jesus, but only recently have I started to actually believe that he actually wants to tell me stuff right? <laughs> that he actually has things he wants to say, and I can listen. And so, again, I said, I grew up in a church where we memorize verses for points. Like, everything God wanted to tell me is there in the Bible, and it is true. And everything he tells me, everything the Spirit tells me agrees with that, right? But my practice would be, I just got to remind myself of all the things I am, that the Bible tells me I am, and it's all really, really good, Right? Like the Bible says that if we're in Christ, we are, we are hidden in Him, swallowed up in Him. What is true of Him is true of us. And so when God speaks over Jesus and says this, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, that is true for you and me and Him. So as we're together, right, we are God's beloved, beloved daughters and beloved sons in whom He's well pleased, in whom He is well pleased. I could go on, right? We're image bearers. We're, uh, we're his children. We're brothers and sisters. We could go on and on and on. The, the love, I, and I can quote those verses all day long, and it stays here and never gets here, right? So I'm learning just to go, uh, Holy Spirit, you've been with me? Like, the Spirit's been with you? <laughs> it's been with us as we've gathered together. The Spirit is among us, and Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. It's the kind of thing I'll do in my car, man. I'll just... Let it get quiet. And I say, Holy Spirit, thanks for being with me. And I just want to listen. Tell me what you want to tell me about me. So here's the thing. He wants to affirm us, remind us who we are. He wants to encourage us. He wants to give us strength to face the challenges of what's ahead of us today. He wants to, to challenge us into more life with him and leave some things behind, right? <laughs> But what he never does, this is important, what he never does is accuse. I have a good friend, she's a grandmother, and just last week she told us, she said, I just learned that when I hear voices that tell me how bad I am, 
how bad of a person I am, that's not God. <laughs> right? Because the Spirit wants to affirm and encourage and challenge us into more life with Him. So if you hear accusation, just know this. That's what Satan does. Right? And that is not his voice. So what I simply do is I just say, Holy Spirit, tell me what you want to tell me. And sometimes uh, I, I may come across a Bible verse, you know, that, that may come to my mind. Or a word may come to my mind or a, an image, uh, the sun on my face, right? Uh, it could be something simple. And if it's good, if it's a good thing, I'm glad to just to say thank you. Thank you, Father, right? So uh, I just want to invite us into that. It takes a moment of quiet, and I'm going to warn you right now. It's kind of weird, right? This is a big room, lots of people, and for us just to sit here quiet, I'm going to, la- I'm going to take us about 30 seconds. It will feel a lot longer to many of you, right? Because <laughs> it's not something we normally do necessarily. But we'll just invite the Spirit to speak, and we can listen. If, you, if a posture helps you, sometimes I just open a hand, right? Uh, it's a receiving posture, just to let him speak to us, right? So I'm just going to pray that, and I'm going to invite the Spirit, and you can pray that simple prayer too. Father, speak to me, or Holy Spirit, speak to me. Let me know what you want me to know. Good? So, uh, Holy Spirit, <laughs> Holy Spirit, you have our ears, and we're listening. Let us know what you want us to know. good it's over you can relax now (laughs) Uh, i did not hear any stomachs growl so if you thought everybody heard that i did not uh want to bring us to the table so what uh this is communion i want to show you this because i had to learn and peggy back here helped me out because she's amazing so i'm going to show you how to open these things you ready i'm going to train you a little bit this is really good um, it's worked for me once, but that's only one time I had to do it. So uh, here we go. You take this little thing and lift it all the way up. And then you take it all the way down and you should hear it click. Did you get that? Now each one should peel off a lot simpler. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of peel both back a little bit. <laughs> and so if that helps. Some of you may not get it and I, I don't know how to help you, you know, if that didn't work. So. Uh, I'll guide us through this because here's the thing. This, uh, this meal, this Passover meal, is when Jesus does this. And here's the amazing thing. That, this meal was scripted. 
hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, you celebrated this meal and it was the same every time. Same prayers, same words, same things eaten at the same exact times. All of it to remind you how good God is and that he has delivered his people and brought them into freedom. And Jesus is leading this meal. Every other house is doing it the exact same way, but he departs the script. Because he's supposed to say a simple prayer, but instead he picks up the bread and he makes it about him. Right? It's almost as, as, as if he is saying, yes, God frees you. He leads you into freedom. And I'm leading you into freedom through my death and resurrection. So he departs the text and he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, take this and eat. It's my body broken for you. Let's take it and eat. And he takes the cup and he's supposed to say something else, but instead he blesses it and he says, this is my blood to be poured out for you. It's what love looks like. Take it and drink. Heavenly Father, free us today. (laughs) Free us from ourselves, from our need to make it all happen and work. Free us from the ridiculous first thoughts (laughs) that we have. Free us. Free us to live fully relying on your divine love and that we can be unconsciously (laughs) self-forgetful and just be yours. Free us today. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your love that we can pour it back out into the lives of those around us today. And King Jesus, thank you. It is your life, your death, resurrection that makes all things possible. And to you, we give our full allegiance. And it's in the authority of your name that we pray.